the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm making a resolution today, uh, not just to watch the clock, though I think I'm doing better, <laughs> but I'm going to try not to get political up here, if you like, to pontificate on the pros and cons of the political process, though there are certainly pros in the political process and maybe a few cons in that process too. No, my process is pertinent to the purposes of God and, and this is the point, I don't know what the point is really of most of what I see of the political process. Or maybe I've missed the point. So maybe I should practice silence, practice listening more and looking even harder before jumping in. However, having said that, just one last look over my shoulder before we move on. <laughs> We've had two very political pieces of the process these last two weekends, protests. One very pointed in what it was trying to say and trying to do to draw attention to families that sought asylum and were separated. One yesterday, which have been nothing if not confusing to anyone trying to get anywhere on the Dan Ryan. What was the point, many asked. You didn't have to know if you were there and you wouldn't have, it was for the readers of the morning papers or the morning news to know what you were doing there. It was a symbolic point that was being made and that was the point. It was a sign of something. What you saw there wouldn't have told you everything that was going on. You needed to see it interpreted for the point of view of the newsmakers. The point is there has to be a point if it's a sign if it's meaning-making, then what is done or said has to point to something beyond itself. What we do with all our doings and all our knowings points to something else. That our life here has a point, but that the meaning of our life is not just in this life, it is beyond it, is the point of this whole project here. Beyond our knowing, so life itself is a sign a sacramental sign, if God is the source of the communication in which something outward and visible points to something inward and invisible, spiritual, as the Catechism says. God is always pointing then, pointing us from what we know to what we don't know, from what is to what is to what is coming, or what is also, but we just don't realize it, it hasn't come to us yet. God appoints people then to point to, to make the point of the things that he is telling us. They are his point persons, if you like, and he, as his people on the ground, as he goes about the business of pointing out to the rest of us what he needs to bring to our attention. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Prophets, messengers, missionaries of what God is seeking to say. Now the communication isn't complete until the message has been received and understood, which it is not always. But the word gets out. That's the point. And from there, the word goes on to do its work where it can. 
But the word's work is work that it works on the bearer of the word as well as on its hearers. The word changes, transforms all who it reaches, who it touches, whose hearts are open to its effectual, effectual outworking. The word of God is not just information, even though we seem to handle it as that a lot. No, the word of God transforms, it's transformation. It does not leave its hearers the same, but pulls them forward along a path, calls them out and gets them moving out of themselves, sometimes violently. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. We all know what it is to get caught up in something, not caught, caught up on something like the chores or our daily readings, but caught in, entrapped, enthralled. The word here, hapazo, is stronger than that. It means taken by force, seized, grabbed, captured, not just captivated and carried off at that. Robbed, plundered is another way as in Philippians 2. He always had the nature of God and did not think that becoming equal with God was something to be taken by force. Again, the common thread is force, even violent force. And it can mean to grasp, to obtain by force what one does not have, and to retain by force what one possesses. Paul has been possessed then, if you like, even violently, by something, someone not himself. He has not just had an ecstatic spiritual experience in our domesticated understanding of that. He has been literally dragged out of himself to come face to face with the living God, ecstasis indeed, out of body, but not the euphoria of some medicated trance, some easy escape into an alternative reality, which one comes back in and out of with clapping of hands and waving them in the air, rather a confrontation with being itself, in which the waving is surely more thrashing around as if one were caught up by a violent wind and swept off one's feet. And he is transported at the end back to the mundane, but as he does so, God grants him one last thing, a barb, a thorn in his side, something sharp to tear his flesh, like the spurs on the stirrups, the goads to which he refers in Acts 9, whenever his pride gets the better of him, wherever the heights of exaltation to which he has soared lead him to be puffed up and to look condescendingly on those who have not had his experiences, who are not so far along in their spiritual journey. The self-confidence that can follow that kind of insight can lead to carelessness, which could lead to a fall, as always happens. But the cost of growth is this sense of distance from those who are in another place on their journey. None of us knows what is ahead, however, and that should bring us all back to the knowledge that we are all beginners at every point of the way on our journey with Christ. As the colic reminds us, merciful God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as pass our understanding. Such good things as no eye can see, as the original Latin of this colic says, bona invisibilia, 
things that are invisible to us. And we're called to let the visible point to the invisible in our lives. And the point is that we are to love, to seek to love and to be loved, to seek love above all before we seek the knowledge which Paul, which puffs up, as Paul says in his first epistle to that stiff-necked and rebellious community at Corinth, to seek the love which is in all things and above all things, both being given and received in this great communion of grace, so that when we too pass through the veil, we may obtain promises which exceed all that we can desire. This is an extraordinary sentence, which we can not only not see, we can't even imagine what God has for us is not what we want, because we can't conceive it, but more than we want and different too, I imagine. Not quite what we want at all, but far better. We never ask God for what we don't want, and yet that's exactly what he has in store for us. Now, many of us want, therefore, only to get through this life unscathed, if not happy, at least in one piece. We want safety and security, just to find a place to hide away until this veil of troubles is our home no longer, until our journey ends. Really, a kind of sanctified existence we want. But God, for us, wants something so much more, life with a capital L. And we are all journeymen on this journey of life, of life in Christ, as I've said, all beginning, at the beginning, every day. Yes, we are called by God, but this journey is no vacation. And the path inevitably leads out of the garden and into the desert, where all the real work is done. A desert workout to help us lighten our load of the burdens we bear that no one has brought on us but only ourselves. So when do we make this transit of trials and tribulations past the gates of what we know beyond to what is ahead? Do we make it just once? Or wherever we transition, not just from life to death, but from one stage of life to another, do we experience it as a kind of dying and a kind of being reborn? When we journey from being infants in our mother's arms, the center of the universe, to that series of separations followed by ever greater embraces of family, of friends, of fellow workers, from the fellowship of those we like because they are just like us, or what we would like to be ourselves, to becoming more and more ourselves, all the while seeing our horizons expand and extend from in-groups to out-groups to others of all kinds, finally in one great embrace if we live long enough, gathering all of creation into the one who made it, the one who is being itself. The wider our embrace we will find, like Paul, the more we will be rejected by those who boast not of their weaknesses, but of their strength, who see life in Christ as some kind of zero-sum game with winners and losers, and very much the majority being those who fall by the wayside and never make it across. Let us seek our fellowship when all is said and done then with him. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them, understanding that as we grow in our walk with Christ, we pursue a moving target. 
And as our understanding grows, we will find that our view of Christ, our view of scripture itself, will change indeed radically. Let us seek on our journey that growth, but let us seek what goes with it, which is a prophet's reward if he gives us a prophet's role. But let us love and love this world for all this world is worth knowing that it's worth far more than we can imagine, and that there is far more to the tiniest act of love, of compassion, than any of us will see or know for now. It's all or nothing, in other words, in this life, and nothing is nothing. The impulse that never is acted upon by us, the impulse to kindness and grace, goes no further than that dream which fled furtively, fugitively through our soul. But something, anything, no matter how small, is everything. So it's a call that he gives us to get involved, to get political, if you like. That's the point, to go outward and act, but to go inward, too, in prayer, and so sort out our intentions and our readiness to act, and to see where God in Christ is at work constantly already. Let our journey forward, then. Be like that that the psalmist invites us, always looking to see where God is at work in the world and in our hearts to see there they are drawn together, never fearing when the challenge seems too great, never doubting the impossibility of that to which he's calling us and not see, needing to see the thing completed before we even begin, going in trust to help to build his kingdom, looking all the while to him. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, or the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. Let not the events of this life, as turbulent as they are, catch us up in them. Let us never be swept along with the fury of the life around us, imagining that there are winners there. Let us rather seek that peace that comes from within as we go to play our part in this kingdom, whether silently and with dignity protesting what is wrong or actively and humbly building up what is right. Amen. Amen. Please stand.